Richard Ayush of the podcast. Huh, I wonder what this is about. wonder if it's that guy that wrote Turtle Power. Um, hello, Hoogle. Hello. Hoogle, tell me about Richard A. Usher. Do you mean the voice artist or the chap who wrote Turtle Power? Uh, the first one. Uh, he, he's got some podcast. What's that all about, eh? Richard Allen Usher, voice artist, writer, and jack of all media trades. His monthly podcast contains sketches restating history and other events. Like that's never been done before. He plays all the characters. He's a bit of an egotist like that. In fact, I am him. Really? Yes, and so are you. Blimey. Must get confusing. Well, yes. It frequently does. for 2026 and a decade on from the historic Brexit referendum, we bring you exclusive coverage as Great Britain finally leaves the planet Earth. After a further 17 referendum votes costing the Treasury an estimated 14 billion bitcoins and 19 billion PayPal transfers, the great day has arrived at long last. More than a million rocket fuel silos have been prepared deep beneath the English section of this once united island. The Scots and Welsh very much ahead of the game in placing gargantuan lines of industrial Velcro along their borders. Once the Brexiteers are in orbit, England Mark II, a flat pack island designed in Brussels, will be floated into place and is set to welcome settlers from all over the globe including the refugees from the Remain campaign currently living on Rockall. We can now see the Great Button Estate being prepared in mission control as Her Majesty the Queen, now in her centenary year, steps up to the control panel. Well, over to you, Your Majesty. Richard Usher Podcast, assorted audio antics from Larynx Productions, written and presented by Richard Usher. Rubies, water lilies and Julius Caesar, all a feature of the seventh month of the year, a month named in tribute to the aforementioned Roman Emperor, and of course, We've seen a fair amount of backstabbing, infamy and political upheaval, so July really living up to its name. And so welcome along to the latest edition of the podcast that attempts to raise a chuckle or three with bizarre sketches 
some of them recreating great moments in history. Where better to begin than with the 1st of July 1937, when the 999 emergency service came into being. It was initially introduced in the London area, with a notice in the local newspaper, to teach the public how to use it. GPO operators were alerted to the 999 calls by flashing red lights and a klaxon. Oh, good morning, Miss Perkins. I see you're uh, ready and prime for any of these new 99... Nine. Uh, yes, nine, of course. <laughs> yes, this new emergency call number, a very important lifeline for members of the general public. It is for the people of our great nation that we put ourselves on the line. Uh, pardon the uh, pun. <laughs> yes, all calls must be taken utterly seriously and dealt with with a clear sense of urgency. I must say, you GPO operators look very efficient, but I am on hand in case you need any advice from a seasoned police officer who has seen it all. Oh, God, it's a call! Look, a red light! Oh, safe preservers, it's an emergency! What we do? What we do? Oh, God! Oh, God. Morning, Miss Perkins speaking. Emergency, which service do you require? What are the choices? Police, fire, or ambulance? Let's send all three. All three? Yeah, I'm trapped in this phone box. I was working over the road in the market when I was attacked by these activists. They pursued me to the phone box and they welded me inside. I tried to force my way out, but I put my leg through the glass panel and I've got a nasty cut. It's bleeding. Try to stay calm, sir. It's all right for you. You're not surrounded by lunatics carrying burning torches and placards. Everything all right, Perkins? What's he saying? He says he's trapped in a telephone box surrounded by lunatics and he's cut his leg. Tell him to pull himself together and have a word with himself. Time wasters. The no-nonsense approach of the British police back in 1937. Now, another chap who has very little patience with time wasters is that master of mirth, Ben Bernard. Log off Ben Bernard. Series 3, Episode 6. The Car Owner's Guide to the Summer. Bit of downtime for yours truly. Cars in dock. Which means that my bank balance will soon be the same colour as half of them workmen I saw standing around up the road earlier on. Red. Half shuffling naked in now but a busy vest with tan lines brighter than the road markings are supposed to be laying down. <laughs> the summer is the perfect time for trundling around in your car, window down, relaxing with some soothing sounds on the old wireless, glancing at the majesty at the British countryside, as hares box in the fields, horses chomp on grass in the paddock, and all manner of bird life flutters around from tree to tree. That's the fantasy, of course. The reality is sitting in a two-mile chuffing traffic jam because the council have decided to save up their budgets for that blitz on the road network 
So they're all set to have everything ship-shape and Bristol fashion for the autumn and winter, when it's too chuffing cold to go out for a drive. Oh, yes. And like moths to a blowtorch flame, all the utility companies think to themselves, Ooh, look, there are some roadworks going off. Let's join in. And then proceed to dig up the remaining routes around town until a storm is threatened when they're promptly down to it. It's always struck me as a bit of an irony that the local water boards stop work when rain threatens. It, it, it's like they're afraid of water. Bunch of Jessies. So thanks to sodding roadworks, all that clutch and gearbox action has well and truly done for the old motor car. The main trouble has been the power steering. The, the, the pipe ruptured on the way back from a benefit gig for a tired trawlerman in Market Raisin. You'd not think that there'd be many trawlers 16 miles from the sea, would you? Any rule, the engine started whining like mad. I, I didn't notice it at first, though. I, I thought I'd tuned to Radio 3 during a Philip Glass retrospective. According to the mechanic, who managed to prise his lips apart from his initial in-breath grimace, the pipe had leaked all over the drive belts, if whatever that means. Actually, I, I know what it means. It means I won't be free of pestering calls from the bank. Your account is overdrawn, Mr. Bernard. We're going to have to charge you a fee for unauthorised credit extensions, Mr. Bernard. Your account overdraft is now overdrawn, Mr. Bernard, and we'll have to charge you a fee for the non-payment of the fee on the credit extension. Oh, and there'll be a fee for the reminder calls, 17 letters and 46 emails, offering you a loan, Mr. Bernard. Do please pop into the branch to discuss this with my assistant manager, while I lie on my arse on the beach in Marbella, fanning myself with a wad of £20 notes. As my mate Tommy Tinkerton always says, hope he steps on a plug. The Car Owner's Guide to the Summer was written, performed, edited and produced by Richard Usher. Blog Off Ben Bernard is a Larynx production. Hey! <laughs>listening to the July edition of the Richard Usher podcast. At least, I hope you are. Otherwise, I'm talking to my microphone. Uh, he's called Samson, by the way. Now, on the 2nd of July in 1644, the English Civil War was in full swing. The Royalists were defeated at the Battle of Marston Moor near York, when the Cavalier leader, Prince Rupert, squandered a chance to make a surprise attack on Cromwell's parliamentary forces earlier in the day, and was forced to go on the defensive around about 7.30, around the time he was having supper. I must say, this beef is most excellent, quite delicious. Thank you, Prince Rupert. We do try our best. Yes, quite unlike that wabble outside, what? <laughs> Indeed, sir. Cromwell and his so-called roundheads are ramping up the pressure, despite their earlier retreats. Do you think it was an error not to attack to their rear? We would have had the element of surprise. Oh, well, we could have done that, but that frightful oik, the Earl of Newcastle, said why I'd that, and he let his troops go rampaging all over York. Drinking and plundering. I mean to say, what are they going to do with 4,000 pairs of shoes? Well, sir, the parliamentarians are on the offensive now. But it's 7.30. I'm in the middle of my supper, for goodness sake. Do these waffians have no sense of propriety? This Cromwell fellow is getting my gander. 
What is all that wackage, General? The men, sir. They're running for their lives. Well, that's simply not on. We have to fight back. We have to show this Cromwell that interrupting a gentleman's supper is not the done thing. I'm not sure the men will agree, sir. Come along, you lot. Ooh, do flee. Follow me. He, he does know there's no one following him, doesn't he, sir? Oh, I'm sure he'll work it out eventually. Uh, any more of that beef, then? This is London. And this is Christopher Stone speaking to you from Savoy Hill. Welcome to my record roundup. Today, climbing high on the Horse Guards Parade, we have for you Brahms, Beethoven, and Mozart. And coming in at number 40, Rachmaninoff. But first, this. Ugh, stupid thing. Hated it anyway. Let's lay down some groovy beats. A little trip back to the 7th of July 1927 there, when Christopher Stone became the first disc jockey on British radio, presenting his record roundup, a sort of early version of the chart countdown. Moving on to a countdown of a different sort, the kind needed if you were messing around with TNT. Back on the 14th of July 1867, Swedish inventor Alfred Nobel demonstrated his new dynamite explosive at a quarry in Red Hill, Surrey. <laughs> Morning, Dacre. <laughs> Beautiful day for it, what? <laughs> What's that, Sir James? I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure as it happens. <laughs> that rule? Uh, not, not just now, Tar. Uh, not with all this sand and dirt knocking about. Suit yourself. <laughs> now, uh, where's this Swedish chappy? Hope he's not wandering around in the buff or uh, having one of those sorder things, eh? <laughs> Mr. Nobel? Nah, sir, he's just over the other side of the quarry in the workshop. <laughs> Probably knocking up some furniture or something. <laughs> I paid this chap to show how his new explosive works, not dilly-dally about with woodwork. <laughs> There's a crowd of his besters and their wives waiting for some fireworks. Uh, getting a bit restive, I shouldn't wonder. Bit tired myself, uh, all this standing about the place on these bits of rock and such. Uh, he shouldn't be too much longer, Sir James. He's uh, actually been putting the last few charges of his dynamite stuff in place and uh, checking the fuse connections. Well, uh, send someone to chivy him along, you Dacre. I'll, uh, I'll just rest me posterior on that uh, handy little shooting stick you've got there. Oh, oh, yes. No, sir. No, that's not a shooting <laughs> Any chance we could uh, try that again, Dicker? Uh, I'm afraid the chairman missed it. <laughs> A Nobel undertaking there. <clears throat> yes, the uh, famed Swedish chemist, engineer and armaments manufacturer referred to in that sketch went on to hold around 350 patents and his fortune was later used posthumously to create the Nobel Prize. You're watching Grave, the channel where all our repeats are free because there's no one left to pay.
And it's Frank's team to weigh up the options. Arthur, <laughs> what do you have for Frank? <laughs> As a young man, <laughs> I was uh, homicidal. <laughs> being, uh, being as this gun I'm holding is uh, a 45 Magnum, <laughs> the most powerful handgun in the world, <laughs> the question is, uh, do, do you feel um, lucky, Frank? Well, Frank, do you? Well, knowing Arthur, um, as, as we all do, uh, it's uh, uh, jolly difficult to uh, think of him as a uh, homicidal. As I mentioned in my introduction, July has been a month of political upheaval, but that does seem to be a pattern for July down the ages. Back in 1765, on the 16th of July, the then Prime Minister, George Grenville, was dismissed by King George III and replaced by Charles Watson Wentworth, or, as he was better known, Lord Rockingham. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Well, that's it then. Dismissed. Fired. Let go. Dispensed with. I am now an ex-Prime Minister. Oh, that's not good, man. Poor Grenville. His Majesty finally had enough. He claims I am isolating Great Britain on the international stage. There I was, trying my best, scratching around to restore the country's finances. The, the, the Stamp Act caused ructions and riots, and my taxation stance on cider turned everything sour. And so you're my replacement, are you? Watson Wentworth, is it not? Second something or other of Rockingham? Lord Rockingham will do. Rockingham by name. Rockingham by nature. Goodness me. My chair is hardly empty and you're cluttering up the cabinet already, I see. Reshuffle, man. Reshuffle. Allow me to introduce the new cabinet. On drums, the Lord Chancellor, the Earl of Northington. On base, Chancellor of the Exchequer, William Downswell. Kicking it on lead guitar is Minister with that portfolio, the Plenty of Rock, the Duke of Cumberland. On trumpet, yours truly. On Some names and the legends attached to them stand out in the history books. One such great name was the renowned Dr. Livingston. And on the 23rd of July in 1864, he returned from yet another expedition to Africa, this one known as the Zambezi Expedition. <laughs> well, I must say, it's nice to be back on terra firma, and in good old blighty too. Indeed, after all your explorations in Africa, in the Kalahari and uh, up the Zambezi. And Victoria Falls. Don't forget Victoria Falls. Oh, well, uh, yes, I, I'll keep it in mind. Uh, next time I see Her Majesty, I, I'll be sure to be ready to catch her. <laughs> Well, uh, anyway, after all your voyages, you, you must be looking forward to a typical British pot of tea and a plate of macaroons. 
I, I, I know I am. Uh, I've just been to Guernsey. Ah, the only thing bothering me is this dratted new catchphrase I keep hearing everywhere. Total strangers coming up to me with a great big grin. I tell you, the next twit to say it to me... Oh, I can't bear to utter it. I'll punch their lights out. Well, uh, here we are at the, uh, the customs. Uh, I'll bid you farewell. Ta-da now. Good morning. And good morning to you, sir. May I see your papers, please? Certainly, certainly. Uh, here you are. Oh, Dr. Livingston, I presume. Right, that's it. Come here, you. Hey, get up. The heat was probably to blame, or, or perhaps the lack of. We've had a few days of high temperatures this month, and just imagine if you'd lived at a time when windows were a luxury. Fortunately, on the 24th of July 1851, British householders saw the abolition of the much-hated window tax. The tax was brought in under King William III as a property tax based on the number of windows in a house. Some homeowners tried to avoid the tax by having the window spaces bricked up. Oh, there we are, madam. The final brick is in place. That'll certainly keep the draught out better than that old glass nonsense. Money saved in both cases, Mr Mason. Splendid work. Madam, madam, an urgent news. What is it, Hives? Why so animated? We have just received word, madam, that the window tax has been abolished. Mr. Mason's work is all for naught, I fear. You mean I can have an extra window after all? Dear me, how will I air the room now? Never fear, your ladyship. I anticipated such an eventuality. I retained... Blimey. Rain. You can still get this old window open. Oh, hey, voila. Oh, that's marvellous. Is it not, Hives? Indeed, madam. Mr. Mason has saved the day with his ingenuity and agile mind. However... Yes? Uh, whilst they have abolished the window tax, they have now levied a spare bedroom tax. Will that be uh, brick or stone for the door, your ladyship? Well, from the taxing world of the 19th century, time to wind things up and travel back a century or so for some cricket, that most quintessential of summer sports, and the reports on the very first women's cricket match held on the 26th of July, 1745. Ta-ta! <laughs> Well played, madam. <laughs> well played. <laughs> Pardon the intrusion, Sir James. Jefferson Muckraker, uh, the Reading Mercury. Ah, a journalist. <laughs> Ideal name for it, sir. <laughs> Ideal. Uh, uh, macaroon? Uh, no, not while I'm on duty, squire. Tar very much all the same. Suit yourself. <laughs> Can't beat a dash good game of cricket and a plate of macaroons, what? <laughs> Oh, good 
service, Davenport. <laughs> Jolly good show. <laughs> I'm told this is the uh, first match of this type between uh, Bramley and Ambleton. Oh, to be sure, to be sure, Mr Muckraker. Ladies cricket, sir. Oh, oh, I mean, come on. Should be the chaps, surely. What? With a dash-talented medium-paced in-swinger like Mrs Wallace? Oh, <laughs> you here to report on the match, young fella? I, I should hope so, too. Uh, historic day, this. Uh, ladies playing damn fine cricket. <laughs> hope we're not going to have any of that sexist nonsense. <laughs> Let's see what you've uh, what you've made of this enthralling day of sporting achievement, shall we? <laughs> the, the greatest cricket match that has ever played in this part of England uh, took place on Godston Common near Guildford, uh, between 11 maids of Bramley and 11 maids of Hambledon. All dressed in white? Well, what about the bowling man? The Bramley maids had blue ribbons and the, the Hambledon maids red ribbons on their heads. The girls bowled, batted, ran and made catches almost as well as the men could do in that game. By Joe, sir, what about the skills on display, the, the batting averages, the pacing? <laughs> this is patronising sexist hogwash. <laughs> well, we in the press have to set a precedent, Sir James. Can't have these ladies celebrating their great sporting prowess. Uh, it unbalanced the social order. Oh, well played, Miss Harrison. <laughs> You've taken the googlies. <laughs> You have been enduring the award-avoiding Richard Usher podcast. Written, performed, edited and produced by Richard Usher. Jazz comedy theme courtesy of bensound.com. The Richard Usher podcast is a Larynx production.